You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 6. We discuss the benefits of photography projects. Well, hello everybody and Happy New Year to you. Well, a belated Happy New Year to you because it's halfway through January when we're recording this. But uh, welcome to the uh, latest episode uh, of the Wildlife Photography uh, Podcast uh, with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hi, Josh. Happy New Year to you. Hey, Rob. Happy New Year. I uh, hope yeah. everybody's doing great. Yeah. How's it going? It's going well. It's cold, windy, and damp, but there's there's still things to photograph, thankfully. Uh, I, but, I guess uh, that's winter for you. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. It's not as cold as it used to be, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, still, it's still chilly here and there. Yeah, well, we've just had three weeks of rain, nonstop rain and wind. So uh, it hasn't been conducive to too much wildlife photography, I can tell you. But still, never mind. What, what did you get up to over the break? Well, I, I've tried to go out here and there over the past couple of weeks, really the past month, because the seasons have really transi transitioned now. Um, I've gone from a lot of, uh, and I'm on the eastern, we talked a little bit about this in previous podcasts. So I'm on the Chesapeake Bay on the eastern shore of Maryland. And I've gone from wading birds like egrets, herons, and some shorebirds uh, to waterfowl and swans. Thankfully, there's been about 25 to 30 tundra swans that have been hanging out in the cove behind the house. So I've been spending time with them, playing around with decoys, which have worked really, really well. I've actually picked up some swan decoys. I even have some uh, duck decoys that you put batteries in and it looks like they're forging and their butt moves <laughs> and it's got a ripple in the water. I, I, I've been playing around with all these different setups and it's worked really well. So a decent amount of waterfowl, lots of geese, some tundra swans. And it's nice to see this, the change in the seasons. It's harder though to go out there and shoot on the water because in the winter, it can be rougher in terms of the wind. It gets wavy. I like to go out when it's calmer. I've got a float blind and I found through um <laughs> through the learning curve it's a lot diff it, it's a lot harder to shoot when you're in a floating blind and you know you have one <laughs> you've got waves, waves. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good idea coming in and and, and flooding you <laughs> yeah your my uh, subject is in focus for about a half second and then i'm up and then back in focus and yeah. salt water everywhere uh, that's an interesting insurance claim isn't it <laughs> for sure <laughs> Oh dear! No, I got away to as as we were sort of talking off air. Um, I got away to uh, south coast of Wales over the over the break, and we spent mm. uh, Jennifer and I spent Christmas uh, in uh, in this cottage, which was right on the beach. Uh, we wake up to the sound of uh, lapping waves and uh, an oyster catcher and curlew and turnstone and mm. all those sorts of you know uh, wading birds. It was, it was fantastic. I just wish I, we could have stayed there for longer. To be honest, I mean, I managed to manage a couple of mornings out with a camera briefly um, with these things. Literally right outside the front door. It was it was fabulous. But uh, yeah, wow. Wales being Wales, the the, the weather never stays too good for too long so uh, you have to make the most of your opportunities so the second half of the week was it was a little damp shall we say <laughs> so uh, yeah that curtailed uh, too too much sort of photography unfortunately but uh, it was great to get away to be honest and, uh, and have a break but uh, yeah the uh, pictures looked incredible i saw some of the pictures you posted it looks beautiful you, there yeah. Yeah, no, it was. It, it, it didn't really have long with with uh, with the camera, but 
the times that I that I did get out with her, I, I think I've got some nice stuff. You know, I was sort of wallowing around in uh, you know in, in the wet sand and and getting filthy dirty and uh, freezing cold and <laughs> and wet through. It was all good fun. That was all good fun. But you've only got like a small window of light, really. Um, mm. You know, from the where the sort of sun was coming up, and uh, but no, the, I, I like sort of backlit crashing waves and you know making some silhouettes and that sort of thing with these things on the rock so it was it was all good fun it was all some good drama fun. to it yeah yeah absolutely yeah but uh yeah funny you should mention your 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 sort of backyard because i thought what we'd do for this podcast seeing as it's the sort of first podcast of the year and everybody's obviously still um sticking to their new year's resolutions and what have you we'd we'd actually talk about photographic projects and and sort of working on 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 projects and 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 focusing on one or two things because uh, that's certainly something that sort of helped my photography uh, particularly actually last year um you know and and the, and the benefits of, of doing that and i've got a you know a couple of sort of projects in mind that i want to work on this year um and you were saying to me you know as we were sort of chatting before we started recording you know about you know obviously the sort of backyard you have uh with it with this new house uh, you know, and, and, and the birds you've been photographing there. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time just photographing around the house. And that's really my plan for the next year. Uh, before I moved out there, I lived in the city. So all I would think about is, okay, where am I going to drive to? Where can I shoot? Now that I can shoot in and around the house, it's exciting because it's, 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 it's photography, but at the same time, it's exploration. You know, counting the, the amount of bird species that come through the yard that migrate, maybe that breed. Uh, near the house, but also there's all kinds of other stuff, uh, Eastern cottontail, muskrat, uh, fox, you know, so there's all different types of animals. So I, I really want to document the change of seasons, you know, what species are there in the winter and then of course spring, summer and fall. Um, and, you know, get familiar with some of the animals, even in the past couple of months, you know, I start to even name some of the birds because I see them every yeah. day. So it's uh, it's it's a lot different than you know popping in on a location maybe a couple times a year and you know looking for opportunities versus actually trying to photograph um, in and around your house. It makes it more challenging, but it's also more rewarding, I think, too. Um, you know, you if you know you screw up or you don't get the shot, there's always the next day, obviously, and. I've got a little pollinator garden. I put it in uh, in late summer, so I'm expecting it to really start to grow in uh, in the spring, and that'll introduce some macro opportunities as well with invertebrates. So uh, some snakes I've seen in the yard. So yeah, it's uh, that's going to be my project and uh, trying to get out as much as possible. Yeah, sounds like you've got you know quite a few things to to to, to have a go at, but I, but I yeah. think sort of when you when you have a project like that in mind, it really sort of focuses your attention on uh you know the, the sort of various details of it uh, more so than just sort of going out ad hoc and and photographing in in various different locations throughout the year i mean you, going back to the sort of backyard you'll get to know you know where the sun comes up how the light falls at certain times of the day as you say you know you're even naming some of your birds because you <laughs> you see individual birds and you recognize them but working with these things on a regular basis, I think you know, you you really get to get to know the nuances of everything really well, and that that just sort of adds to the uh, creative process 
I yeah. think you know when, once you've got the sort of because I, I when I I don't know about you but when I when I sort of look at a project I start with the sort of standard photography and then I add in little layers and I take things to to another so take for example photographing birds in the back garden you know I'll start with a standard bird on a stick with the sun behind me approach get some nice shots of the various species that are coming in and then I'll start flipping things around. Maybe I'll shoot into the sun. Maybe I'll do this. I'll change a background. I'll change a perch. I'll change an angle. You know, I'll shoot at a different time of day. You know, and you, 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 it's, it's a very iterative process, I think, that takes you down a much more creative path than, as I said, just going to the, you know, this location or that location and you do it once or maybe twice. You, do, you I really don't think you get the most out of it. So having some sort of focus I think is is can be can be really important. Yeah, I totally agree. You're right. Actually, you hit the nail on the head when you said iterative, because it really is. I can think of a, a great egret, which is a fairly common bird in the cove uh, behind my house, and I call this bird GE. I named it GE. That was its nickname, and I would see it, you know, every day for a couple of weeks. Um, it would forage in the same spot, and you get to learn the behavior. So I, initially, I found it. I had um, a 600 millimeter lens in my kayak. Then I started to go with wider angle focal lens to get different perspectives. And again, you can improve upon that. And yeah, that's why I say, and I think we've discussed this even prior in another podcast, but I think the best photography is always local because it's, it's the situation where you understand the light, you understand that you have a better understanding of the animals, their patterns. And most animals are habitual that I've found, you know, if you observe an animal for a while, you tend to learn its patterns, but that's where you can plan and execute, I think, high quality photography versus, you know, being on a game drive for a week in Africa once a year where, you know, you're not going to get the same shots as somebody obviously who lives there or can do more. No, exactly. You know, and I, I just think that I, I, well, personally speaking, I don't think I could ever get bored of photographing the birds in my garden using that sort of uh, example again. You just, think about different ways in which you can do it. I mean, I said, you know, I have maybe five really common species that come into the garden all the time. And, you know, you think, oh, it's a goldfinch again, you know. I mean, they're probably the most common bird in the garden. I, mean, I, get, I get dozens mm. of them. But it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And there are so many ways in which you can photograph that bird. It's just your, you know, it's just your imagination and your mind which is stopping you from from exploring those things and i think you know the more the better you get to know the species and the better you get to know the location and as I said, where the light falls and everything else you know the more experimental you can be uh, and yeah. I, I think that's that's a you know a really one of the really positive aspects of working on a project or working with a species or working in in a location again and again and again as you get so much more out of it mm -hmm. and, I, and i think one of the other important aspects to working on a project is that um i think my for, for myself and i you know and i'm sure that this will resonate with with you josh as well because i know it it does with a lot of the other people that i've spoken to through you know wild art and and photographers in in, in general and that's when you start to lose your focus a little bit um and you you get into that situation where you, oh I can't be bothered to go out. Do you know that feeling you get sometimes when you just think oh yeah I, I'm just a little tired of it. I you know I, I can't get enthusiastic about it. And it was well I know it was Andy Rouse said to me 
Rob, work on a project, when I was going through one of these periods, pro I was about 18 months ago, maybe, get yourself a project, focus on it, and that will get you back into the swing of it. And it did, because I, I chose um, to focus on the three lakes that I have close to the house and the water birds on, on those lakes. And I just went back again and again and again and use the light in different ways. And, you know, so I was photographing the same species again and again and again, probably, I don't know, five or six different species. But it was it was repeat, repeat, then do something a little different, add another mm. twist, repeat, repeat, repeat. And I, I've ended up with thousands of images of silhouetted coots, for example, in early morning mist, you know, that's that sort of thing. But the more you take, the more you 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 get practiced at it. Uh, you know, the, the the more little sort of subtle little nuances you can you can throw in there, and and those yep. are the things that I think start making the difference between a picture that we've all seen before, and then something that you can then go, oh, hang on a minute, I've seen that before, but I like that little twist to it. Do you know what I mean? And, and absolutely, I, I, I just think that it it can be a very important or very useful process to actually get you refocused and get your mind back into what you really enjoy. And I tell you, I had an absolute ball doing this last year. I mm. loved every single minute of it. And I did it for probably two or three months. And wow. I, I, I just, just loved it. And I want to try and get back into it and, and revisit some of those situations. And, and, you, and you also find yourself taking pictures of, of other things that you know are there but you don't come across so often because you know it, they're they're rarely seen it's like otters well they're commonly seen but not in the right sort of weather conditions and i had a couple of opportunities to photograph those last year as well because i've mm. been spending so much time there so you know i, th I think it's a you know working on a project and having a a sort of goal or a, a set routine almost with those sorts of i, I think can be a really really important tool yeah. to make sure that you uh, get yourself out of, you know, sort of photographic malaise, which I sometimes find myself in. I, I don't know whether it's the same for you. Yeah, every so often, for sure. And one thing I will say, um, when you're shooting locally or you have a project and you're, you know, you have repeat customers in terms of subjects, it increases your empathy and your awareness for ethics around these animals. We talked about ethics in a previous podcast. Um you know, on my property, I've got some bluebird houses set up for Eastern bluebirds and you care for these animals and you, you know, it, it just reminds you that you want these animals to be around. You want to see them next month, next year, you want them to come back. So, um, it, it's, it's deep in my, I think, sympathy for ensuring I give them space. And even though I want to get great photographs that I respect them as well, because, you know, the last thing you want to do is um, a good example, bluebirds. So I have these bluebird boxes set up. Um, you know, I could easily put a beautiful manicured branch in front of the bluebird box where they land on the branch and I can get a photo and then it goes into the, but I don't want to introduce something new into the environment. You know, why put potential stress on the bird for a photograph? It's not worth it. So um, in doing this and shooting around the house and going out there constantly and getting to know the, it just reinforces uh, a lot of principles when it comes to ethics, when it comes to empathy for the animals, because you don't want them to leave, you want them to stay. So um, it, it's helped kind of 
fasten my resolve around some of those concepts as well. No, that that's a really there's a really interesting thing to say actually because it's you know as you were as you were talking there I was thinking actually what you're recording is almost a relationship, isn't it? Yeah. As you're as you're taking these images, you you're kind of recording the relationship between you and what you're photographing. Yeah. And I think as as that process develops and the images improve, maybe that's uh, you know an important element that you know I hadn't really considered before i think that's 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 really quite interesting what you've just said actually and uh, i've even left a lot of my decoys i leave them in the water for days and there's, it's, there's a strategic reason because right across the cove there's some hunting blinds there and i don't want them to go yeah uh, hunting is a big thing and i and i totally understand that and i respect that it's part of the culture i'm not a i'm not a hunter but um I'd much rather give him a chance over on my way than go the other way. So, uh, um, you know, uh, certain ducks have large clutches like dabblers, but we get sea ducks, Rob, or, you know, they have some of these, they have maybe one egg, right. You know, so their yeah. reproductive cycle. Um, and when you look at some of the numbers, they're just crashing in certain areas. So I'm trying to do my part, um, much to the, the uh, dismay of some hunters <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, spare some some birds oh, good for you well that's another subject we could talk about maybe another time <laughs> is you know uh, is is how photography is is perhaps helping conservation particularly from you know taking over from the sort of hunting aspect of things because i've always said that you know you can shoot a, a bird an animal whatever uh, you know countless times with a camera you can only shoot it once with a gun yeah that's right you know and I see a lot of, and again, this is a separate topic, but especially when it comes to waterfowl, you know, you see the picture where it's posted on social media and there's, you know, lines of ducks or geese. And I'm thinking, are, are all these birds really going to be consumed? You know, are they, I hope so. Um, but you just, you just hope it's not a wasted life. Um, no. It's a difficult thing, but. Oh, don't, don't get me on it because we'll start, <laughs> we'll start talking about pheasants again, which we touched on before we, before we started recording, um, you know, and I, I've seen, I've seen literally hundreds of pheasants uh, after a shoot and I know what happens to them, you know, big hole in the ground in they go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's an old saying, actually an old English saying, which, which says about pheasant shooting that it's, up goes a crown, down comes a penny or something. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but people pay a fortune for it and i anyway i've never never really understood it and the damage those you know the introduction of those birds does is immeasurable really um yeah in, in this country but uh, anyway let, let's let's not let's not deviate <laughs> turn the wheel here go back, back exactly on yeah 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 <laughs> forget i said anything <laughs> So have you got any sort of specific projects other than your sort of garden or backyard birds or animals? That, that's the main one, uh, documenting, you know, the change in seasons around the property. The, the Chesapeake Bay, that whole ecosystem has changed a lot, actually, over the past, you know, 30 some years. A good example, uh, Canada geese, which is not everyone's favorite bird species because they're all around, you know, they're on the golf courses and everything else. But uh, most of them historically would migrate from Canada down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Things have changed. Things are warming. Most of them now overwinter in the Chesapeake Bay. So we get them in the thousands. So just, wow. you know, tracking 
how they're coming in, how many that I can see, the dates around these, the different species. So that's going to be my main goal, I think. And it's it's a pretty big project. Just I'm going to try to get out as much as I can. Um, you know, I have a, a little kayak so I can get in the water and just uh, explore this cove. The cove behind my house is called the Broad Cove. Um, and it's pretty big and it opens right up to the Chesapeake. But it's great for birds because it's pretty shallow. High tide's about three and a half feet. Low tide is maybe a foot. And sometimes there's mud flats for shore birds and um, you know, great for egrets and stuff like that. And then other stuff, white-tailed deer, um, muskrat, fox, uh, possum. There's, there's a decent, actually, uh, variety of mammals and some reptile. It's great for frogs, too, tree frogs, pe spring peepers, all that. So uh, wow. that's going to be the main push. It sounds like you're almost going to create a diary, a photographic diary <laughs> with yeah. all this stuff. That's what I'm trying to do. If it's nice, yeah. I'll try to get out every evening because it's got a it's got a western exposure, the property. And after work, I can go out, especially in the warmer months, you know, where the sun doesn't set until eight o'clock, eight thirty, eight forty-five sometimes. Um, and you get twilight even after that. So I can go out each night, and it's it's pretty easy to you know pick up one lens. And what I what I started to do, and I'll do this as well this year, as part of this project is go out maybe one week with a 200 millimeter lens, go out another week and force myself to shoot, you know, maybe, I don't know, uh, 24 to 105, you know, and go, go wider. And that'll force me to create different compositions in different settings. And then sometimes go tight, like a 600 with maybe a one, four or two times telly. So, uh, I think I'll mix that up as well to show the habitat, but also show different views of the, the animals. Now, that's really interesting, actually, because, you know, when you talk about projects, we don't necessarily just have to talk about single species project or a single location project. We could also talk about, well, actually, I'm going to take a wider angle lens and I'm, I'm going to use that as my project. I'm going to photograph, you know, wildlife with a wider angle lens. And I'm going to do that this year or for however many months of the year and just see where that that sort of takes me. I think mm -hmm. that's a, you know, so it doesn't actually necessarily need to be restricted to locations or certain species. I think that's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a really good way of looking at it as well. Yeah, perspective, variety of perspective, I think would be very unique. And I want to find, I haven't done this and I'll have to speak to some folks, but I'd like to get an underwater rig for my camera equipment because in that cove, it's great for Maryland blue crabs, which is, you know, the, oh, the yeah. symbol of Maryland. They're all over and they hurt, by the way. If you've ever get pinched <laughs> by those things, it is not pleasant. <laughs> so I'd like to get some shots of them underwater. Um, I, it would be simple, frankly. I, I see them all the time. Uh, I was going to do it with my GoPro, but I, I'd rather see if I can get like a dome and some strobes. And yeah, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? Try yeah, and try and get that sorted. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that that's an expensive business. Yeah, big time. <laughs> and if well, I actually, only want to go one foot, you know, two feet underwater, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to not throw too much money at it, but. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, why don't we look to try and get the next guest on the podcast? Why don't, why don't we look for an underwater photographer? Sounds good to me. Yeah. That's way then, out of my element. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then it, you can get some advice. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. Uh, Two birds. In fact, on in fact one, one, one of the new judges on uh, the wild art competition next year is an underwater expert. So maybe we'll get him on. Sounds I'll, good. I'll try and, I'll try and line him up. Anyway, <laughs> we, we digress again. <laughs> <laughs> which well it's just the nature of these things isn't it but, uh, it, but it, it's better than swimming you could just put it down you know and just i don't even have to get underwater i won't even need a snorkel for this one so. 
Well, actually, you could probably get away with one of those cheaper housings then, couldn't you? You know, those, the, yeah, the, the, the ones that obviously don't take too much water pressure. You can't take them down too deep, but be perfect for that sort of thing. Yeah. Because yeah. that was one of the things, in fact, well, it's one of the things I've been thinking about as well as, you know, in terms of the sort of water birds is like, well, how can I take this to the sort of next level? And I kind of been thinking about, well, I, maybe I'll, I'll try getting in the water with them this year. So not, you know, with a with a floating uh, hide or a blind, as you, you call them across the pond. Um, yeah. But, you know, perhaps just with a camera mounted on a tripod with a bit of scrim netting over myself with a with some neoprene waders um, and, and, and doing it that way. And because I know if I if I did that, they'd come pretty close, particularly if I got in perhaps before dawn and just yeah. waited. Uh, you know, and it, it may well be that you, you know, could have a chance encounter with an otter or something like that as well, which would be pretty cool. But the sort of next sort of stage uh, of that would be perhaps sort of looking for that underwater housing that would give you that half and half shot. Yeah. You know, so you've you've got you can see what's under the water as well as what's above the water because the really good thing about the lakes that I photograph in is they're all fed by chalk streams. So the water mm. is gin clear, particularly oh, in the winter when you've had some cold weather. I mean, you you know, you, it, it's yeah, it's it's quite unique. So it would work really well. So that's that's something that I've got in the back of my mind. Maybe okay. not this year, but it, that might be something that I that I look at next year. But another yeah. thing that 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 I I've been thinking about, <laughs> particularly over the last few weeks, because I haven't been able to get out because it's been chucking it down with rain, is actually photographing birds in the rain hmm. something that i've i've sort of dabbled in a little bit in the past but actually the possibilities and the you know the opportunities for it i, I think doing something a little different they, they, you know it's quite exciting when i think about it you know and the you know the subtle use of perhaps introducing a bit of flash to backlight some of the raindrops that sort of thing mm. uh, i yeah I, I'm, I'm quite excited about that so I, I you know that's sort of going through my my, my mind at the moment I, I've, I've tried a little bit you know in in the garden uh, a couple of years ago uh, and people will have seen i'm sure a couple of couple of shots i posted on on social media uh, but i think there's a there's a lot further i i could take that a lot further it's so uh, yeah, that, that's something that i want to get into it's enjoyable. You know, I did it um, intentionally. I went out on a shoot. When was it? Last year, I had an American bitter and I was in a wetland and I was in, you know, waders and in the, and it was pouring down rain and you can play around with shutter speeds, you know, certain exposures, you get the water going off the bill. I mean, it, it makes for some pretty captivating portraits. I think, you know, I really enjoyed that shoot. By the way, I will tell you, Rob, the floating blind, you should have really good success with. I've found it works great when it comes to getting close to water birds. What I've done, I've actually taken um, some decoys and I attach them to the blind. So when I move with the blind, <laughs> the decoys come with me. So, you know, I've got a floating, you know, armada here with me. So I'm flanked by some golden eye and some, some tundra swan decoys. And if the water gets too high, and I've learned my lesson on this, so I, I would put on waders, neoprene waders, but depending upon the water level, when you have to dip down to your camera, you want to get your camera near the water line, I would get water coming in from the chest or from the mm. back. So I found, I was talking to a friend of mine, he recommended there's this thing they sell called a paddling jacket. Um, so I got this paddling jacket, and I put it on over the top of the waders, and it goes down to, to my waist, and you can 
you could seal it pretty tight and that prevents water from going in. Some of the, um, the, uh, wetsuits, the dry suits, they're really expensive. It's six, $700. I'm thinking, is that, you know, is, is the juice worth the, the squeeze on that? So this paddling jacket, it's, it's worked fine. So I just put well, it over the way. That's really interesting. Cause I, that, that yeah. was one of the dilemmas that I had. I thought, oh, how can I get the camera really close to the water? Cause I know my elbows are going to be in the water. And at this <laughs> time of the year, it's bloody freezing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so I'm going to get really uncomfortable really quickly. Can I do it with a, you know, with a, you know, with a waterproof coat or can I, do, but actually, you know, presumably that's sort of a kayaking canoeing type yeah. garment, is it? Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll send you uh, a link if you're interested. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the one I have is like super bright blue. So once I was going to say, do they line, have come in really bright colors? Don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I'm in the blind. Everything would fly away a mile away if they saw me yeah. come out of that thing. But uh, but it, it's actually worked really well. And I bought the uh, Mr. Y if I'm saying it right, Yang Gear. It's Swedish. So I think it's Yang Gear. Um, and that's expensive. I, I think it was like 750 bucks US dollars. But yeah. it, it's easy to put together and it keeps your it keeps my, my lens pretty close to the water. So, uh, yeah. it's nice. And you can just walk I, around. I've and been looking it. at those. I just, I just know that the lakes near me, literally there's probably seven, eight feet of water right off the bank in lots of places. Oh, so wow. it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really quite difficult and you do not want to be going out of your depth in a pair of waders people. <laughs> Please don't do that. Once because... the water goes in the waders, it's Davy Jones's yeah, locker. Yeah, I think, yeah right? done. <laughs> You're done. I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of fishing in the past. <laughs> I can tell you, water going into chest waders is not a good idea and getting out of your depth. Yeah. I learned that the hard way, actually, because I, I got a boat recently and I'm not a boater, but I got like a small skiff for like, you know, fishing, as you were saying, Rob, and some photography. And I was bringing it to um, this little boat ramp and this fisherman in the eastern shore it's almost southern the accents you know and this guy was a fisherman probably for he was an older guy and he said to me and i had waders on because i always wear waders i was getting off the boat and he's like son you better take them goddamn waders off he goes that boat goes upside down water and you be good as dead and then he gave me this <laughs> this whole speech and he started i said okay i got it i got it and i looked it up and i did some so now i no longer wear waders in a boat <laughs> No, it's a it's a it's a dangerous thing to do in in deep water, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> you'd be good try, dead. Yeah, try try getting those off in a hurry. No, <laughs> yeah. I think you know my my sort of first stab at this, I think, is going to be water level. I said just on a tripod, in a pair of chest waders with a bit of scrim netting over me, and I think yeah, I'm going to try it like that to start with, and because they're quite confiding anyway. If if yeah. you're you know, if you, if you, if you don't move around too much, they'll come in quite close, but I've noticed that particularly little grebes, they're a little bit more nervous than mm. some of the other duck species. And, and actually it's gadwall as well. Gadwall are more nervous than mallard. Mallard are fine. They'll come in because they think you're going to feed them. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've noticed that gadwall in the back too. You're yeah, right. They Ga are Ga gadwall will, will give you a wide, much wider berth. Yeah. So it's those sorts of things, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to get in, in quite close. And even things like great cormorant, they'll, they'll come in close sometimes if they're feeding and, they, and that's preoccupying them. But other times they, they will also give you quite a wide berth. So it would be, it would be mm. nice to, to get a little closer to them. Uh, yeah, I, I find if I'm mixed into the shoreline, if I take that blind and, I, you know, I'm in, 
under a pier or by, you know, some of the rocks or just in on the shoreline, much more confiding. If I'm out and it just looks like a big hump or a rock and I'm just moving a lot of the, the, some of the ducks and swans will get freaked out and they'll start swimming away. But I've noticed if I put the decoys around me and I'm swimming with the decoys, they're a bit more confiding. It's uh, so you can potentially get close. So just oh, tricks of the trade. Yeah. That's genius. That is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of anybody actually using decoys like that. Before. I bought too many. I have like, I want to say, I'm embarrassed to say this. I probably have about 45 decoys. I just went on, I, I probably had one or two beers and maybe a martini, Rob. I don't know. I, I was on Amazon and I just ordered, ordered, and I, I loaded my cart up and all these decoys showed up. I'm like, well, I want to get golden eye. I have buffle head, green wing teal, swan. So anyhow, I'm, my shed is just nothing but decoys. It looks like uh, an Avery in there, but it's fun. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, dear. Yeah. Well, the other thing that, that, that I thought about, I've been thinking about for a while, and I think I, I'm so blessed where I am with hairs, mm. brown hairs. They're not as common as they used to be. I mean, they used to be probably, I mean, I would think sort of eight, nine, ten times the number that there are now. But, you know, having said that, there are still numbers of, of brown hair within walking distance of the house. So I and I could go out, I could walk 10 minutes, you know, and I, I could probably find one early enough in the morning. Mm. So, you know, this is, again, going back to things that are accessible and are close to you. And you can, you know, generate a relationship with and, and, and an intimate knowledge of. And I'm just thinking, why, why am I not doing this? I mean, there's such a photogenic animal. They're so charismatic. Why am I not doing this? Particularly as we're coming up to boxing season, you know, and the and the opportunities there are kind of endless for all sorts of, you know, nice, artistic, interesting shots. But I need to be putting in the groundwork now on those. So, yeah, I, I really need to sort of delve down that rabbit hole. <laughs> pardon the pardon the pun. <laughs> And I suspect over there, the young ones are really cute. I mean, that we have, you know, I've got Eastern cottontail where I'm at and the young ones are adorable. The little mm -hmm. bunnies when they're born, yeah, they're uh, some sweet. of them were born under my shed and I'm like, oh, these are the cutest little things ever. Yeah. And it's funny, but talking about hairs and things like that, I, I actually came across one, you know, really, really close encounter with one the other night. Because the evenings are obviously, you know, they get dark pretty early. Uh, and I took Sky out quite late the other day. Normally I get her out in, the, in, you know, in the daylight, in the afternoon. I get out for an hour and a half and go and sort of stretch my legs and get, get some exercise. But I got her out pretty late and it was, it was almost pitch black. And through the head torch, I, I had these eyes glinting back at me. Uh, you know, quite close to the ground. And I thought, I pretty much know what that'll be. That'll be a hare. Mm. Uh, just because, you, you know, they just sit on the ground and they just hunker down and they just hope that you don't see them. Uh, literally, I was within four feet of this thing before it took off. Wow. I couldn't believe how close I got to it. It was quite incredible. And that kind of gives me another idea. You think, well, actually, I don't really see any pictures of these at night like that. That would be an interesting project to work on as you sort of develop the idea a little bit further so yeah. you know once you start thinking about projects and giving yourself a focus all these other little ideas start creeping into your head which is which is what, what i love about it really
Yeah, camera trapping um, to to your last example is a great opportunity to do around your house. I mean, you own the property, you have you know you can see with the comings and goings. That's something I have not done as much that I really want to experiment with. I've done camera trapping on other properties in Pennsylvania and some other. Uh, I, I've actually even brought my stuff to Africa one time uh, when I was over there, but I haven't done a lot of it at the at the new house, and I should because you know fox are active at night. Great horned owl I have active at night. Um, and who knows what else is moving around, maybe possum, raccoon. So it's, it's something I need to do because again, it just, there's so many variables, but that's what makes it fun. You know, you can shoot macro with insects, you can do camera trapping. Um, it's just, you know, uh, yeah, it's just mind blowing. When you think of the opportunities, you really don't have to go far to excel in wildlife photography and have good opportunities. Well, we're talking about camera track trapping, um, Kurum's picture comes to mind is the you know, skunk ah, skunk from, yeah that's yeah. A great image yeah that was that was fantastic and i i bet you he tried for a long time to get that i mean you'd, you'd know <laughs> yeah he <laughs> did and tell he me. kept getting feral cats there's a lot of feral cats i think in his neighborhood and then finally you know the skunk showed up we traded notes on a lot of stuff and as a matter of fact there was a book that came out he was um he's a uk photog i think he won Wildlife photographer of the year some years ago was a shadow of a fox against the wall. Um, Richard, is it Richard Peters? Was that his name? I think it was. Mm. He he came out with a book on just camera trapping and backyard photography. It, it's a it's a great read. I'd recommend it if I can remember the name. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, I'd have to look. It's well, look, look it up and maybe we can put a link in the show. Yeah, notes it's, or something. It's, an, it's an amazing reference guide, and it really helped me get started in terms of equipment suggestions and stuff like that. Well, I tell you, that's another podcast idea. I could write this down as we're talking. Actually. <laughs> these little ideas that come out of these discussions. But you know, as I said, you know, this this is what the podcast is kind of all about. It's you know, it's it's not really a, a sort of formal thing. It's more of a chat between friends and see what happens. <laughs> so I don't know where where these are going half the time. <laughs> oh dearie me but uh, no i said camera trapping we'll, we'll definitely have to do that because i know that's uh that's something you've been doing quite a bit of it's a lot of fun um and there's some accounts that i thought it, it is richard peters by the way i'm looking it up he was the author yeah. um on this book oh, I don't um, know him. yeah he uh he had a famous shot of a fox a shadow of a fox well there you go wall years ago bird and animal shadows silhouettes and things like that's another potential project yeah. to work on yeah, yeah. I, i've been doing a lot more silhouettes just because i have a, like as i was saying i have a western exposure so the sun setting and it, it's it's quite easy for silhouette and it's a lot more fun too i think uh yeah when do, you start in wildlife photography everybody does front lit you know have the sun behind your back only to a few do you know and after a while obviously you want to branch out from that um so it's, it's, it's a lot more fun, I think, to have the sun in the opposite direction. It gives much more opportunity to be creative. Well, that and, 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 you know, putting things in context and putting things into their environment, as we've talked about before, that's another great sort of potential project for people to work on. That's something that's, that's been in my mind as well, because, you know, as you say, you know, that sort of front lit bird portrait has been done so many times. Yeah, that's boring yeah. at this point. Yeah. It, well, in the, at this point in my, you know, in my photographic career, that sort of thing is boring. I do take them because I, I sometimes I want to use them uh, for reference guides or in articles or whatever I might be doing. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, it, photographically, 
and from a you know from that perspective i find it yeah pretty not boring as such but but dull perhaps Di you know. diagnostic <laughs> yeah exactly I want, I want something that you know when i look at it i go oh yeah no i i really like that i really like that because it's something a bit different i haven't quite seen that approach before that's that's kind of what i'm looking for and i i think that's what a project will give you it will give you the ability to experiment yeah and, said, and take you on that iterative journey as, as we talked about before so speaking of that journey i often wonder rob if it's easier to be a landscape photographer and then turn into wildlife you know there's i find that landscape photographers they have a really good grasp on composition on light on on more expansive scenes than if you start with wildlife most people start with those diagnostic shots and i think it's a much easier journey coming in from a landscape or at least the eye of a landscape photographer mm -hmm. than someone just documenting and taking shots of just different animals so well, funny I, funny I you should say that because because that's my sort of entry into wildlife was really from that landscape yeah you know my, my love of the outdoors and that's how you know i was a landscape or I was interested in landscape photography first, uh, and then wildlife came afterwards. But you're right. I mean, when you're focused on a subject and it's filling the frame, where's the thought about composition? Because it's almost done for you, but you don't really need to think. You know, you just need mm -hmm. the animal in the in the frame. Whereas if you when you start taking a step back and you start adding a lot more elements in, then you've got to compose those elements. And when something's moving around or flying around, that is much more difficult to do. But you're right, you know, I, I think those sort of those sort of wider shots as we've talked about before, are much, much, much more difficult. Yeah, uh, especially from a composition standpoint. I, I agree, yeah. Um, different yeah. usages of light and, and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. So would you agree with that since you came into the field from a landscape perspective? I, I think I would, yeah, because you, you do understand, you know, composition, I think, much much better if, you, if you've had that sort of background and you, and you look at things in, in that way. And I said, you do have this sort of understanding of light and it's like, you know the the sort of early you know the the sort of first few hours of the of daylight and the last few hours of daylight always the best for 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 landscape although you know you can use light throughout the day if if you're you know if you're inventive the same with with wildlife yep. but no i i would i would agree with that i think that you know once you have that that sort of eye for that that detail i think that that can bring another element into your wildlife photography for sure yep. uh, which is why i think as photographers we we should always you know, look at other genres of of the of the craft, uh, and and go. What can I take from portrait photography? What can I take from landscape photography? What can I take from street photography? Mm -hmm. And I listen to podcasts and I watch YouTube videos from people that specialize in all these areas because I, a I'm interested in photography in general anyway. And I want you know, and I, I'm not beyond you know taking a portrait. Uh, myself or you know if I lived in an urban environment perhaps I would do a bit more street photography although I think you've got to have some balls to do that actually <laughs> taking taking pictures of people I think takes some you know takes some yeah. nerve which I don't possess <laughs> <laughs> at least animals can't answer you back or get annoyed <laughs> because you're taking their picture without consent um, yeah so I'd I rather uh, face an angry Canada goose than somebody on the subway that's for sure yeah, yeah.
Yeah, although although I'm not sure about perhaps a brown bear or something, I, I think I might draw the line with that. I, don't, I wouldn't want them angry. <laughs> You're right, though, Rob. I mean, there's certain there's different aspects of photography. Like if you look at landscape photographers, they're so great when it comes to lines and curves and compositions to incorporate that and um, animal scapes, you know, or using space and wildlife images. Invaluable. Even you know, portrait photographers when it comes to light on the face and um, textures, detail, understanding what expression you want to capture, all that stuff bleeds into wildlife photography. Um, it's yeah. good to study that. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot to learn. I mean, you know, that's a, yeah. you know, uh, again, you know, capturing personalities of things. And, and, and I, you know, I did do a bit of portrait photography in my time, you know, and they, what portrait photographers always say is it's not actually the skill of, taking or the technical skill of taking the photograph it's developing the relationship with the subject which mm. is the most difficult thing is what's well, the key thing and if you can't do that you can never get your subject relaxed you can never uh, sort of develop that relationship with the subject which allows you to have that intimacy that's required to produce a really good portrait and i think you know you could take a lot from that into wildlife photography and the yeah. discussions we've had in previous podcasts, and I think with Georgina, in fact, uh, was that sort of the more you get to know wildlife, the more it is comfortable with you, then the more relaxed it's going to be, the more natural behavior it's going to display and the better the outcome in the photograph. Uh, yeah. So I think that's another takeaway from, from, I agree. From you can't beat natural behavior and to a trained eye uh, and most people in the wildlife photography community who've been doing this for a while, you can tell natural behavior versus uh, something that's manipulated or forced. It, it's quite yeah. easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's another subject for a podcast. It's like <laughs> we use, you know, other genres of photography in our wildlife photography. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> I didn't think about it. I haven't thought about it as much, but as we were talking through it, you know, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, cause, um, it, I, I personally think it's much harder to excel in the art of wildlife photography. If you start as just a wildlife photographer, because it's frame filling diagnostic shots. And the next step is okay. Rule of thirds. I don't want to put my subject in the center, you know, but after that, it gets progressively harder to start expanding and incorporating different things if you don't have that eye. You have to train yourself. Or maybe you do. Some people are naturals. I've seen that as well. But, yeah. I, you know, I think it's harder to train yourself to see these things. I mean, I, I was kind of fortunate that, that I never really thought about it. You know, I had that or I have that natural ability just to piece things together and it, to me, it just looks right. I don't, I don't go through this sort of mental checklist, if you like. Yeah, it's, it's like, a feeling, you know, right? More it, than it's it is. A, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. a it's a feeling, and 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 I think that helps when you look at something and you go, I want to break the rules. I don't, I don't sit there and think, uh, you know, to myself, I'm going to break the rules here. I just do it because I think it looks right in that situation. And and then when you're looking at the thing on the screen, you go. I actually, you know, I, I kind of, you know, that's a bit of a strange place to, or to, to, to put something. It's not, that doesn't really follow the rule book. Mm. Not that I think there is a rule book in photography, quite frankly, <laughs> but you know, there are guidelines that people try and stick to, but do you not think that perhaps the guidelines that people have in their heads are when 
perhaps somebody doesn't have as natural ability to see things as perhaps somebody like you or I do, and they they're trying to learn the process. So it is, you know, you can then do have this sort of mental checklist because I I do it myself with things that I'm not particularly good at. I'll have a checklist. I've got to okay. Have I done this? Have I done that? Have I done, you know? Did, 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 oh, oh, great! Everything's in line. Yeah. With photography, I don't do that. I don't. I don't look at. Is that, you know, uh, you know, is that right? Is that whatever in the right position for the rule of thirds? Is that? I, I never ever look at a picture like that. I never break it down in my mind, in in, in that way. When I'm when mm -hmm. I'm looking through the viewfinder, I just look through the viewfinder. Does it look right to me, or does it not? You know, and I think if it it's iterative to what you were saying. Yeah. 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 I think for most people, a lot of it's confidence. You know, the more you shoot, the more you get out there, the more material you produce. And then at a, at a certain point, I think your confidence level gets to a certain state where you're like, okay, I'm going to experiment now. And I'm going to, you know, social media probably helps. Competitions help. I mean, look at look at what we've been looking at in wild art for the past two years, Rob. I mean, some of the best photography, wildlife photography in the world. So I think being exposed to different photographers, looking at different styles, a lot of that helps people think outside the box. But I think a lot of it has to do with confidence. You know, once you, you know, photograph a certain subject or a type of photography after a while, you become more accustomed and then you start, you know, thinking outside the box and taking more chances. That seems to be the natural evolution for most. Yeah. Well, looking at some of the pictures that come in from Wild, wild Art, it's, uh, it's quite intimidating. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but you look at what people are doing, and uh, you know, and and a lot of those images, if you, for the from the discussions that we've had from with the photographers when they come on uh, to the you know to to the awards presentations, very very few of those pictures are one-offs. You know, yeah. they've come across a situation and they've just taken advantage of it. Most of them are the result of planning and taking images again and again and again and going through this iterative process that we've been talking about to improve what, you know, for, to improve the result or to improve the particular technique that they've mm -hmm. then employed somewhere else and got, a, you know, particularly good shot. So, you know, I think from from that perspective, I think projects can can really help you, you know, that way as well. I yeah. mean, I just most, think they... most are close to home projects, as you were saying. Most of the winners that I can think of, it, it, local. Um, rare, I can't remember when we had a winner where the story was, you know, it was a quick trip to another continent, and oh, there it was, and I took the snapshot. I mean, well, maybe Dan Dory's not... picture, Dan Dory's picture of the fox, perhaps. Oh yes, yes, it springs the, to mind as, 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 as you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was that was pretty cool, but um, you know, and that that was obviously a locational thing. But uh, I mean, how how often would you go to as you? I think you were touching on earlier, spend a, a shed load of money going to a location and then going. Do you know what? I may only see this animal once, so I'm not interested in taking just the standard shot. I'm going to go all artistic and try and take mm. something different right off the <laughs> for right from the get go. You'd never, yeah. well, I wouldn't think like no, that. That's you not the some, norm, absolutely. You want some bankers first, wouldn't you? You want to yeah. record the fact that you'd seen it, take your literal shots if you like, and then move on. Well, you may not have that opportunity to do it in that yeah. circumstance. Whereas at home, you you know, it doesn't, as you said earlier. You know, if you miss the shot, it doesn't matter because you can go again tomorrow. 
And it's hard too. I mean, so many people now, there's so many more photographers, they're all traveling to these locations. I'm actually not as, um, uh, I don't have a strong drive anymore to photograph penguins. I mean, not that I'll pass it up, but photograph penguins or bears or, you know, because so many people are going out and they're doing the same stuff over and over again. So from an artistic standpoint, it's not really a huge drive. What's more of a drive for me to get to some of these places if I can and when I can, I don't think a lot of this stuff's going to be around in 20 years or 30, you know, who knows, yeah. you know, so it's kind of a sad thing. I mean, we're going through again, my opinion, but a global extinction. And, you know, I just don't know how much longer some of these animals are going to be around. So that drives me, I think more to get to some of these out of the way places than it does coming up with something that's a creative photograph, which would be very hard to do in light of how often they're shot. Yeah, exactly. And how much time you actually have when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you're going out and you're looking to photograph wolves, for example, <laughs> you know, you, you very got, difficult. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult even to see them, let alone yeah. photograph them, let alone then try and photograph them in a different way that other people haven't thought of. So, yeah, we tried to photograph. Them. What is it? The Wapiti pack, which is in Yellowstone national park. Um, and they'll venture, uh, these wolves will venture in and out of the park, unfortunately, because they're being persecuted now, which is ridiculous. But, um, you know, we will come across them, but they're what I would call pepper flakes. I mean, they're not, it's not even really a photograph. They're just way in the distance. But um, be, being able to get close to these animals and see them is almost spiritual. I mean, they're, they're beautiful animals. And again, it's just a, another story. Uh, you could tell thousands of these stories across the globe of persecution you know are they going to make it mm. are they not uh, it's it's so it's tough so i that's more the drive i think for me recently is to just see these animals while they're alive rather than in a storybook it's sad to say but. and do, do you do you find yourself just putting your camera down and just enjoying yeah. the moment yeah many times um because well it's incredible to photograph and it's something i, I it's it's what i prefer to do it's what's a passion of mine but you miss some of that experience, to be honest, if you're photographing, mm. if, if you see something and you're anticipating the moment you have the lens up and you know, you're pulling the trigger, you're taking shots, but it's a bit different to take it in and really take it in. Um, when you're photographing something, you know, you have, your mind is working, I think in a couple different directions. Well, what's the right shutter speed? Should I adjust my exposure? What should the frame be like? What, you know, so all these things are going on. And while you're appreciating the moment, you're not one with the moment. Um, you're not, you're only one with the moment, I think, is if, if the lens and the camera is down on the seat or yeah. it's on the ground and you're experiencing it. That said, if it's a hell of a moment, <laughs> you want that photograph. Yeah, you, you, you do, but I, yeah. I have to say that, that my drive to photograph absolutely every moment of something has drifted away as I've got older. Yeah. And my appreciation of of what i'm seeing has has uh, you know has sort of substituted itself for that drive yeah. and i think that i i enjoy things a lot more because of it and i enjoy, just enjoy the experience and do you know what if i don't come away with a photograph it i really don't mind anymore because yeah. I, I i i think you know with a commercial brain on 
you know, I always wanted to take a, a picture of this species and that species, and I can add to my library and my collection and this, that, and the other. But now I just think, well, what's the point? Because a lot of those images that I would have been taking are quite sort of straightforward, literal. They, and there are thousands of pictures just like it out there. So my taking it is only satisfying my own desires, not creating something that's actually going to be useful for other people. Mm -hmm. So when you start looking at it like that and then breaking it down and saying, well, actually, I, I'd rather just enjoy the moment here rather than taking images that I'm just going to keep on my hard drive and never look at again. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, if, if you then cross that with a situation where, you know, you might be relaxed, you might have some really nice light, you might have something, you know, a, you know, a, a, a bit out of the ordinary going on in front of you for whatever reason, and you've taken something a little different, then that's much more valuable to me now. I agree. I agree. I, I find myself not photographing sunsets and sunrises as much. I'd like to take them in. It helps if there's no animal around because I'm not tempted, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I still like to take those in without even taking any images to see a sunrise or watch a sunset. I don't know. It's still special. Uh, and I, I actually think that, that not being able to carry a heavy rucksack around anymore or, or not without severe consequences for me, um, you know, with, with the, you know, sort of long-term damage that I've got, to my lower back as most photographers of my age probably have um I, I find it quite liberating in a way because you, you're not carrying cameras around with you all the time and it gives you the opportunity just to enjoy these things you go okay so i can't take a picture of that sunset am i bothered no yeah i'm, I'm really not anymore which sounds or strange even just having one lens a one one camera body and a one yeah. lens setup mm -hmm. and whatever comes across, you pick up your camera and you take the shot and you force yourself to shoot with that combination versus having, you know, a backpack with all different camera or all the, maybe two body. When I go to Africa is a good example. You have maybe two camera bodies, a bunch of lenses, and you're constantly mixing and matching and uh, it, it adds stress and it forces the event and the ultimate shot versus having it come naturally and come through feeling. And that's what you want, the latter, not the former. I think that's that's something else that I want to work on this year is just going out with one camera and one lens. Yeah, <clears throat> you know? it's fun. And then I... because then you don't have a choice, and you concentrate on that one thing. And I think you're going to get more out of it. I think it's again, it's sort of going back to the fishing analogy. If you go out with a bunch of rods, okay, and you bait them all up, and you they're out, they're all out there. So you might have three or four rods or whatever. You know, you're not concentrating on any one of them. You're just thinking the more baits I've got in the water, the more chance I've got. I don't actually agree with that. I think if you have the one rod and you're concentrating on that and you're you know moving it around and you're working, yeah, your chance is probably far greater than you did if you had four rods with four yeah. baits that you're not paying attention to. And I think that's the same when it comes down to cameras and lenses. And I'm the world's worst at this. You know, I want to take every lens with me and then I can't decide how I want to shoot this thing. And then halfway through the trip, I can't be bothered to take my backpack <laughs> off and change the lens. It's such yeah, a yeah. faff. You just think, oh, I can't be, you know, I can't be asked for this. It's just, yeah. you know, I'll just, I'll just shoot that with the macro that I've got or on at the moment. Or, you know, so it, it, it becomes pointless. And I think actually, if you free yourself of all that equipment and you just take one camera, 
one lens and go and see what you can do with it. I actually think you're, you know, that will release a lot more of the sort of creative process in you. Definitely. Than, than actually going out with a full backpack. So that's something else I want to, to really delve into this year. It, it does it for me. And I, and I'll say the natural disposition, if I have a few options and for most people, you want to get closer. So almost always the longest lens comes out and that's not the best option. I mean, most of the stuff that we see, I think that when it comes to, and again, this is all goes to taste, but um, 70 to 200. I mean, that's a lens where I, some of my favorite photographs come out of that mm. lens focal length. Um, and most people wouldn't pull that out. They, if you have a 600, they'd probably pull the 600 out because I don't know, it just, most people seem to want to be closer or get as close as they can when they find an animal. Um, but that's not always the best thing, obviously. And I, but I think, you know, the, the sort of long lens syndrome, you know, the sort of, I, I almost feel that, that the 600 millimeter prime is almost seen as a uniform for yeah. wildlife photography. I, <laughs> yeah. I, as I said before, I don't have one because it just, I, I just don't see the point in investing 10,000 pounds plus on a lens that I'm not going to use very much. Yeah. And, and a lot of photographers get that because they want, it's almost, um, it's an identity thing is I think you were yeah. just insinuating. A, I, I was uh, trying to photograph some short-eared owls, which are local right now. They winter in some of the marshes and this, uh, I, I didn't know the photographer, but he asked me, he pulled up next to me and he has, you know, showed his camera. It was a 600, you know, he's got the, the, the camouflage around. Yeah. It. Yeah. The camouflage around. Have you it, seen yeah. any short-eared owls? And I said, well, there's two flying around. I'm waiting to see. So he pulls in front of me gets out of the vehicle, <laughs> takes a big video tripod, sets it up on the ball, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, if you're, if you're out of your car and you're set up wearing really bright colors, it's probably not going to fly by. And, uh, I mean, he, he probably just started, it was quite clear, you know, he, you know, he uh, wasn't seasoned in this type of photography, but what, what, was, what's the expression? All the gear and no idea. Is that, is I, that I think, yeah, it was kind of <laughs> along those lines and I was trying to help him and make some suggestions or whatever, but I just, you know, politely pulled away and went further down to, you know, leave him some space because the owl was not going to come close to us because he was standing outside of the car. But um, I think it's for a lot of people getting that lens and showing that lens in the gear. It's, it's a statement, you know, more than yeah. it is a utility sometimes, but. It is. And, uh, you know, I, d I just find that if I had a lens like that, I would find it difficult to take the sort of images that I like to take because I couldn't, it wouldn't be so free in the hand Yeah. because it's so heavy. It's, it's not as versatile as the lenses that I like to use. So it just doesn't suit me as a, as a photographer. It just doesn't suit my style. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. It's what you want to take. It's how you want to go about it. Uh, but I, I almost feel like it's everybody follows the crowd. If you've not got a 600 millimeter prime attached to your camera with cam wrapped in camo you know, uh, coating, then, you know, you, you can't be a serious wildlife photographer. Yeah, I, I've seen some some crazy setups. There's this uh, place we have called Conowingo dam and uh, it, it's a big place to photograph bald eagles, uh, mostly in the fall. I've heard of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll see some photographers show up where they'll have a, a 500 millimeter and a 600 millimeter on one tripod setup and they'll be moving. I'm like, what <laughs> I've seen, you know, uh, 
chairs that rotate um all kinds of crazy stuff you know it's actually well, fun. you mean a bit, a bit a bit like a bit like star wars in the you know when they've got Absolutely. their yeah 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 <laughs> and, and it's fun i'm not i'm not being critical it's part of the experience but it's uh it's amazing to see um how gear can be part of your identity in the wildlife photography yeah. scene you know it's uh well whereas, add all that lot up add, add up the the camera the lens oh, the we gimbal, the million dollar the fence, tripod yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jesus yeah. yeah exactly go remortgage your house yeah exactly and then yeah. there's always and i all kind of chuckle a little bit because when you buy photography gear it's meant to be used you know you'll have and everything looks pristine you'll have a fifteen sixteen thousand dollars setup and they'll have a little cloth and they're taking the dust off during the and i'm thinking oh my god <laughs> they probably don't want to look at my gear anytime soon but well they, they, they're, they're probably outside the houses washing their cars every sunday as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that's right <laughs> anyway Having having destroyed, <laughs> sorry people, we just thought oh, oh, just ensure your gear and do whatever you want. Yeah, we don't we don't really we're, not, we're only yeah we're only poking fun in a in a, in a in a good way. Anyway, we've been going for over an hour actually, Josh. We, <laughs> oh wow! I said I said to Josh before we started recording, let's make this a shorter one because you know we, could we tend to sort of record this quite late at night for me because of the time difference. Uh, and, yeah, and obviously yeah. you know work and everything else so uh, it's actually quarter to one in the morning what's uh, sort of next for you in the, the next couple of weeks what you're planning uh, um pretty much getting out as much as i can owls are still around but mostly it's going to be about the swans and you know whatever ducks are in the cove and yeah see what i can do to play around with different forms of light different compositions that's going to be the uh that'll be the big push and things will be moving out before you know it come march you know, um, these birds will be flying out and, you know, stuff, uh, egrets will be coming back. Osprey will be back. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, there'll be a lot of change coming soon. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's going to be back to the water birds that I love so much um, and see what's going on there because I haven't even walked around the lakes in, in weeks. So, uh, yeah, get get on and uh, start to uh, start to get my feet wet, uh, metaphorically and probably <laughs> Yeah, I'll be curious to see how you make out with the uh, yeah. getting in the water. That should be fun. Yeah, so that that's on on the way. And I've, I said, think I said to you before we came on air that I'd see my first snowdrop actually appear the other day. So wow. there'll be all that sort of spring flower photography again, uh, sort of coming into view very, 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 very soon. So I'm looking to uh, to do a few more, you know, a few different things there. So yeah, I've got a few sort of projects around that in my in my mind. So I hope that sort of helped everybody sort of think about your photography over the next sort of 12 months or so over the course of this year and and maybe you know giving you a few ideas for your own projects it'd be interesting you know for, for people to leave some comments perhaps you know uh, you know on the, on the on the podcast and as, as to as to what you'll, you'll you'll be up to you know as long as we've we've done something that uh, you know is thought provoking and will hopefully help your photography over the course of the year that's the whole point of it and hopefully we've we've been a bit entertaining as well <laughs> with with our with our rambles and um yeah and our and our tangents <laughs> but uh, anyway josh thanks very much um and uh, yeah let's get a guest on again and perhaps i'll i'll uh, i'll i'll see if we can get our, our underwater photographer friend on for a chat yeah, that, that, that would be an interesting discussion so uh, anyway i'll try and line something up anyway 
thank thanks for everybody for listening and uh yeah we'll, we'll see you all again next time thanks all thanks rob you have been listening to the wildlife photography podcast if you have enjoyed the content then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms giving us a like and leaving us a comment see you all again next time